Ladies and gentlemen, we're back. The Football Scoop Podcast, first one of the 2022 season, and I'm fired up. Scott Roussel, your host, and I am extremely excited. I'm overjoyed to say my dog's barking, and you are looking live. My colleagues, John Bryce and Zach Barnett, the dog is Bailey, and he's like, why are you so excited? I'm excited because we're doing the first podcast of the year. This is fantastic. Gentlemen. College football is back as of this upcoming Saturday, two days from now. Is I mean, are you feeling as excited as I am? Because I am. I, I don't know if I can channel my uh, inner Michael Buffer quite like you, but uh, it is it is most impressive, and it is uh, becoming an extremely exciting time of year. I'm a little slow into the uh, into the grind of the season, but I'm excited that we're we're nearly there. I can't wait. We got we got a fourth grade scrimmage tonight. We got varsity football this weekend. We got a first grade scrimmage Saturday morning, and then we got college football on TV all Saturday afternoon and night. Like it, it it's time. I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. For so many reasons, I'm ready. First of all, I will I will kind of introduce, but he's not here. Our colleague Doug Samuels, who is not on today because he's a head high school football coach up in the great state of Michigan. They play their first game tonight. First regular season W coming tonight. 7 p.m. Eastern, it's on. We'll talk more about that later. Yeah, and shout out Doug real quickly because we know that he's going for a second consecutive undefeated regular season. That's big time stuff. No pressure, Doug. No pressure. <laughs> it's big time. We're also, I'm extremely excited not to be building a house anymore. For those who know, don't know, whatever, I've been building a house for the last year. We moved in earlier this month. I'm extremely excited to be here. We can talk more about that on a later day, but I'm excited not to be building a house. So we can talk college football All right, gentlemen, let's talk real briefly about the state of college football. Are we in a good place? Are we not in a good place? I know there's excitement about the season, but step back from just the season. Overall college football, where do you guys feel like we are? Go ahead, Zach. Uh, I I think the the one word is is just weird. You know, I think we are in the throes of moving from the quote-unquote amateur model to the professional model. I mean, I know the big news recently is the Big Ten signing that billion-plus-a-year TV deal that's going to kick in uh, here next year. And it's tougher and tougher to make the argument that the conference is going to bring in a billion dollars a year and the players don't deserve any of that. Without them, there's no product, there's no money, there's no athletic department. So – I think we're rapidly moving towards a model where maybe the Big Ten signs each of its football players to their own NIL deal or something of that nature. I don't, you know, I, I'm I'm not a, an expert on labor laws and all that stuff, but it's it's changing so fast, so rapidly. Like I think we all saw these changes coming, but the speed at which they're uh, they're happening, you know, really since the 2020 season has just been. Uh, it's been a whirlwind to follow, to say the least. Yeah, I would, uh, in a lot of ways, agree with you, Zach. I think overall football is um, obviously just based on the dollars uh, in a very, very healthy spot. I think moving toward playoff expansion is great for the sport because you want to have more teams with a legitimate chance to have a shot at a national championship. and I think we're we're drifting towards 
a, a situation where the upper level of college football is going to be 40 to 60 teams that, that truly have a chance to compete for a national championship that are in an upper tier of, of what you're referencing, Zach, a, a super strata of college football that, that maybe all 40 to 60 programs have players that are on NIL deals, whether that's uniform, uniformly distributed in, in some capacity. It's hard to say. Everyone I talk to keeps waiting on oversight and um, the movers and shakers that, that make the biggest decisions in college athletics and specifically college football want congressional help. And that's not that's not on the immediate horizon anywhere. So until that happens, we're going to have sort of this nebulous space that we're inhabiting right now in college football. I think the game is really good. I think that um, the transfer portal is making FCS football stronger than ever before. And since coming to Football Scoop and having some friends in that division, I've become a greater FCS fan than ever before. I think that quality of play play is just continuing to enhance. So I really like that aspect of it. But that, that's where I see we are. Everybody wants somebody to do something. Everybody wants somebody to fix the NIL landscape. Nobody wants to be the one to do it because it will then be used against them in recruiting. And we all know, um, much like building a house, if you're waiting on congressional oversight, it's a slog. So I, I'm of the camp that I think uh, sharing revenue with players is, is excellent, should happen at all levels. There should be a few restrictions, a uh, few if any restrictions, on their ability to earn money uh, from outside endeavors. What I think is not great for the game is um, the consistent ability to transfer. I don't know what it's teaching the players. I don't know that it's good for the team concept. Uh, I don't believe it's good for the team concept. I don't believe it's good for the individual players, to be honest. Uh, I don't know that it, it is educating them and setting them up for a better future. Um, I think it has a massive ripple down impact on the group of five, uh, division two, maybe FCS to some degree. Uh, John, what you're saying, and I agree with the, the pure joy of FCS football and honestly, the quality of some players they have is fantastic. FCS is in a good spot currently. I'm worried if the inevitable transfer up, matriculation up, you know, a midseason call up, so to speak, and dollars are involved. Nobody's going to say no to that. And then you decimate your FCS team. So um, I want to see how that plays out for the next year or two. And I think Two years from now, a lot of this dust has settled, and I think we're in a better spot. But I'm worried about some people who don't have a seat at the table and it becoming very bad, not just for their football program, but for their university uh, and, and impacting hundreds of thousands of – not hundreds of thousands, but thousands of lives, if, honestly, if not hundreds of thousands. Yeah. Are you saying you would be worried about a player leaving midseason to join another program? Yes, because the rules are all, you know, changing and turning. And yes, I am. And I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess that's the uh, that can be out there as a concern. I, number one, can't see a coach as much as we all know. Coaches are worried about locker room dynamics, especially in the NIL era. There are talks of some programs actually hiring locker room coaches um, to help manage the atmosphere and the culture in the locker room. So I can't see a program taking in a guy mid-year um, that hasn't been there through summer workouts, that hasn't been there 
through the off-season winter workouts that hasn't been there through a through an August preseason camp and the heat and the grind of that. I know what you're going to say is if a coach thinks he can help win, he'll do it. I would disagree in that I don't think they would take a guy in mid-season and play him that season. It's happening in many states right now at the high school level. Uh, at Zach the high school I, level, yeah. Zach and I have spoken with a lot of coaches uh, who have shared experiences where young man – Changes teams, perhaps it was in August, maybe it was early September. He changes teams then. He changes teams when, and this happened, I think, this past season, 2021 season, when his team was not going to make the playoffs. He changed teams. And then, Zach, correct me if I'm wrong, it either happened week one of the playoffs, but he he left his team in the playoffs and went and played for another team in the playoffs. It's insane. Yeah, and there are um... – there are exceptions to the norm. I completely agree. And, and at the high school level, I think we've all heard of some some diabolical things, especially if somebody has gone from public school to private school or vice versa and made and made a leap like that. Um, I don't know if I've seen it public to public, but that doesn't mean it hasn't happened. But that's still a, a different animal from the collegiate level. I just um, I, I see the transfer issue. I know coaches are extremely concerned about unlimited transfers. Administrators are too. The flip side of that is if you're going to play devil's advocate is how much of this have the coaches done to themselves um, in the very mercenary like state, especially for assistant coaches who aren't always making the same life changing money as a head coach. And they do have to go chase an extra 150 or $200,000 a year over the course of a three-year guaranteed contract because that truly does set somebody's family up differently. So I think um, I like the one-time transfer rule anytime. Uh, I think that should be allowed. But as long as you've got coaches that are leaving literally every single offseason and having these staffs roll over like that, I think you have a hard time um, legislating how much a, a student athlete can transfer, even though I would like to see it be one and done. This is where I think uh, to to – I think maybe put a bow on what we discussed. This is where it's going to take some broad uh, leadership here, because if you have some sort of collective bargaining agreement between the schools and the players, you can sit at the table and say, all right, guys, we're going to cut you in on X percent. You're still going to keep your scholarships, your trainers, your training table, all that stuff. And we're going to give you X percent of whatever we make in exchange you're going to sign this contract that says you can't transfer until this date and you can only transfer so many times. I think that's how you go about and solve both issues at the same time and set up a situation that's, that's equitable for everyone. I'm with you. Jumping, jumping forward before we talk a little bit about this week, zero slate or week one or early week one, whatever we're going to call this slate of games that's played Saturday Tell me something that that excites you about this season. I mean, obviously, Lincoln Riley's at SC. You know, Brian Kelly <laughs> is at LSU. Uh, it's it's just a fascinating time. I'm excited to see how these things play out. Week one is always a feeling out period. Week two, it's getting a little bit more real. And week three, they're into their real season. Traditionally, is how I see the world. Uh, not every team has that luxury, but I'm excited to see the first couple of weeks how these these new coaches and new places roll out their programs. What what excites you guys about this season on the field? I think I think USC is the most fascinating team for me. Uh, I remember 
I remember doing this podcast last September, October, and John, you said if USC gets the right coach, they could be a college football playoff contender immediately. And I think we all agree they got the right coach. So uh, you find a poll, they're somewhere in that 10 to 12 range. Obviously, they assembled, they got the number one quarterback for their system in Caleb Williams. They got Travis Dye from Oregon. They brought Mario Williams over to uh, to play receiver. Uh, he's got Alex Grinch over to run his defense. And most people, I mean, you won't find anyone that has them really lower than 12, 15th in that range. And I'm looking at the defense like, Everyone knows they were flat out awful on defense. They were 112th in yards per play allowed last season. They went four and eight. Like they were flat out bad last season. And I could see them going 10 and two. And I could also see them going six and six. And all of us looking back and saying, oh, yeah, maybe we got ahead of ourselves this year. So, you know, I, I think they're emblematic of this era that we're in area in where you can flip a roster. Uh, immediately uh and you can build a team through your seven on seven positions and figure it out from there uh so if if they go out and and go 10 and 2 then i think that's going to have impacts on the industry from from hiring and then transfer and all that stuff and they go out and go six and six and it's going to tell a lot of people oh yeah this, this game is still football and it takes more than a quarterback and some running backs and wide receivers to build a championship team you know, I don't even think you mentioned Jordan Addison there. Yes, Jordan Addison. Yeah. Um, they just went out and, and got the best receiver in all of college football last year, who, by the way, just signed a, a sweet new NIL deal this week as we talk about that with the National Airlines Company. So um, another example of how the sport is just quite literally changing every single day. Um, I, I see the intrigue with USC. I'm probably a little bit more big picture in terms of, I'm really excited to see the Big 12 this year because I think it's really wide open, and I'm also excited to see what Texas and Oklahoma goes through every single week as they yep. visit other teams in the Big 12 and they get their uh, long, protracted going-away party that we all know is not going to be overly friendly. Beyond that, I'm really, really excited for for Dan Lanning and to see what he can do out at Oregon because the guy has ascended so quickly as a coaching star. Um, they've recruited well under Mario. They've continued to recruit well under Dan Lanning, Carlos Lachlan, and all those guys. So I'm really intrigued there. Excited for Tony Elliott at Virginia. Billy Napier, Florida, Utah. I know I'm jumping around a little bit. Florida, Utah is a game I'm ridiculously excited for in college football this season. We've got a bunch of great games that early in the season, but that's one that maybe hasn't gotten as much talk that I literally am already looking forward to it every day. I'm reading stuff out of the Utah camp. I'm reading stuff out of the Florida camp. Just really excited for it. And then here, you know, I'm based in South Bend. I'm excited to see what what Notre Dame does under Marcus Freeman. There's much more cohesion in that program right now. And without any NIL benefits to speak of, Notre Dame is recruiting at a level nationally right now that it hasn't recruited at arguably since, since maybe the Lou Holtz days when the NBC deal was so revolutionary. So those for me, uh, I cheated with a, with multiple topics there, but that's my mindset going in. Really, really excited about the Big 12, and I'm just going to be really entertained and amused a bunch by what Oklahoma and Texas go through. Agreed. All right, so a couple of weeks ago, the AP poll was about to come out, and I called Zach that morning. I said, all right, Zach, give me, uh, give me you know, one through eight, and he literally rattled off how it was going to play out, and he nailed every single one of them. 
And then he said, and after that, eight through 20 could be literally almost any team. And, you know, he named 30 different teams that could all be in there. Give me, I'm going to challenge you guys. Give me a team that's in that nine through 25, so to speak, that could surprise us and wind up in the college football playoff. Any thoughts on that? It's a tough one, guys. Tough one. Just I like Miami. Get there. I really do like Miami. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke, there. He was a freshman last year. Really underrated quarterback. I thought uh, their their schedule sets up well. Uh, I mean, they, they go to A and M in week three. Probably won't win that one. Uh, but they don't get Clemson in the ACC, so there's not. They they could win every single ACC game. Uh, Mario Cristobal and Alex Mirabal. I know Mario's had issues of losing games he shouldn't, but there's not two better. There's not a better head coach O line combo, O line coach combo than those two. And so I expect them to be really solid up front uh, immediately. And uh, I, I think they, you know, USC has gotten all the hype of the, the new coach hitting it big immediately. I think Miami could do what a lot of people expect USC to do. Wow. That's a that's a really good one. Um, I mean, you pick USC, they're they're mid teens in in most of the polls. I think that's one I would look at. Um, I, I would probably pick between USC and Oregon as two teams that are a little little further ranked. They would have a chance to to make some sort of national noise or be in the conversation in that regard outside of Miami. Zach probably picked the best one in Miami. Um, I will say a. Uh, USC Oregon type would would be the other one that I would pick. There's a lot of talent in the SEC, Big Ten, ACC. I think I think you're going to see some runs out of some teams. You're like, ooh, didn't see didn't see a Tennessee, didn't see a Minnesota sneaking up on people. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. A long way to go. Minnesota. I'm not throwing any crazy predictions out there. All right, let's let's jump into this week. Uh, it's, it's an interesting slate of games. Uh, not a lot of big national notoriety other, I guess, perhaps Nebraska Northwestern over in Ireland. But uh, what on the schedule excites you? I mean, it's college football, so we're all excited about that. And there's some late night shenanigans that are coming, and we all know that. But what else in that schedule? Does anything catch your eye? Um, I mean, I'm really excited for the for the Hawaii-Vanderbilt game. I really am. You've got Timmy Chang back at Hawaii as an all-time legend for that program. Um, made a huge jump, but but that's a program that's really been close to life support in recent years, and they need this sort of um, native son program hero coming home with a chance to resuscitate it and, and salvage that program and probably engender a, a community spirit there that we haven't seen for a really long time. Flip side is um, I got to know Clark Lee a little bit when he was at Notre Dame, followed him when he was under Dave Clawson at Wake Forest, um, the guy's a great coach. He's got some really good off-the-field staff people that have helped him overhaul that roster. Um, they brought in a bunch of transfers, and they return almost 70% of their production from a year ago. So um, it's a huge game. I mean, Vanderbilt fell flat on its face last year in game one of the Clark Lee era and just was throttled by FCS ETSU. So um, it's an exciting game for Hawaii. It's really a must-win game for Vanderbilt. So that, that's one off the top of my head that I'm looking forward to this weekend. You know, Scott, we, uh, I know we, we talked offline about how excited we are for this North Texas-UTEP game, which is probably the first time that sentence has ever been said. But I really am excited for that game. You know, North Texas, they, they started 1-6 last year, 
one of their last five games to to salvage the season. And then, you know, I went to that heart of Dallas Bowl where they played Miami, Ohio, and saw for myself, like, they were right in that game, but they had no quarterback play. Like, uh, their, their quarterback, Austin Oni, was a guy who played six years of minor league baseball, so he's like 28, might be 29 by now, threw two picks. So I, was, I left that game thinking that, okay, they're going to have a conversation and be like, all right, it's time for you to move on. We're going to go find go in a different direction at quarterback. They brought in a, a kid named Greg Gunnell, who uh, you know, his story is an interesting one. As a, as a freshman in high school, I think in his first game, a kid scored seven touchdowns. He set the, I think the national record at one point with, with 10 touchdown passes in a game. He's a big, tall kid. Like I think he's a 2018 class, and for a while it looked like he was going to be the number one quarterback in 2018. Committed to A&M early. Uh, under Kevin Sumlin's staff, Noel Mazzoni loved him. And then obviously Sumlin got fired. He, uh, new staff comes in, let him know, hey, we're going to go in a different direction. So he uh, signed with Arizona and, and Sumlin and Mazzoni. Uh, didn't, it didn't work out there. They ended up getting fired, transferred to Memphis, uh, where he sat behind a true freshman, Seth Hennigan, who's interesting, a Denton product. Uh, and then now transfers to North Texas. And I know... You know, a lot of people were wondering, is he going to go out and win that job? And kind of hoping that he would. And ends up, Austin Ani won the job in camp. And so Ani was was pretty good in 2020. In 2021, he was not in the top 100 in passing efficiency. And they were, UNT was top five in running, but could not throw the ball. So now they're bringing back the same dude. It's got to, it's got to get better. Their quarterback cannot hold back that that team this year. So I think they should be pretty good on defense. They, they almost lost their best defensive player, Katie Davis, to the transfer portal. He came back. So, you know, they, they have a potential to be pretty good, but Austin Ani's got to be better. So I, I'm going to be watching that intently to, uh, Saturday night. I think what you're here nationwide about that game, I think there's going to be significant interest because I think a lot of people believe that could be a really good football game. I think what you're going to hear a lot is, how do I watch this game? It's not on TV. It's on, well, it's on stadium. And I honestly don't think a lot of people can watch that. That's why UNT is uh, very, very happy for uh, Texas and OU joining the SEC because that allowed them to join the American. They'll be out of that conference USA TV deal. I would uh, real quickly also be terrible if I didn't remember the Nebraska Northwestern game. Yes. Um, which Nebraska, I'll continue to argue. They were almost an eight and four team last year. So now Scott Frost is once again coaching for his job, but he was single digit points away basically from getting an extension last year. That's how close they were to a quasi breakthrough season under Scott Frost. Um, the flip side of that is, is Pat Fitzgerald and Northwestern uh, were pretty disappointing last year. They lost really badly to this same Nebraska squad, somewhat same Nebraska squad a year ago. But um, Fitz's teams have been better when a little bit less, I think, has been expected of them. And there's not a lot of talk about Northwestern this year in the Big Ten. They lost, it. They, they lost their All-American safety, Brandon Joseph, already to, to Notre Dame in the offseason. Um, so I think that's a, a really, really good and captivating game for Saturday. Um, and, and Fitz doesn't have any must-win games. It would be a game that would be a very good win for him. But it's absolutely must-win for, for Nebraska and Scott Frost, or we really will have the first match struck on a hot seat in August. It, it's going to be a long, long flight from Dublin to Lincoln if they don't win that game, and then a long month because you got 
you're off the next week, and then you got two gimme games before uh, Oklahoma comes to town on the 17th. So if they win that game, you're probably 3-0. and People are going nuts with a, a winnable game against Oklahoma at home. If you lose, you're, you're going in probably two and one. Thinking, you know, if we lose this game, it's two and two before the big the the, the Big Ten schedule really starts. So, I mean, the, the the advanced advanced metrics that I see have Nebraska about a two touchdown favorite in this game. So they, they need to go out and get it done. Yeah, Nebraska needs to handle their business. If Northwestern just plays an incredible game and just beats them, that would that would be disheartening. I think what Nebraska fans really don't want to see is Nebraska lose the game, fumbles, bad penalties. They don't want to see Nebraska just lose the game. That would be disheartening, I think. Yes. Anyway, a couple other quick notes. Um, UConn is at Utah State. I think Utah State's a fun team to watch. I think they're a very good team, very uh, good coached, well-coached football team. I think Utah State will throttle at UConn, but I think it's also going to be a fun, entertaining game to watch. And I think people will tune into that one. Mm-hmm. Illinois, Wyoming has some potential. We'll see. It could get weird, which would be fun. Charlotte FAU, I don't know enough about the teams, but I know there's potential there for that to be a good football game. Yeah, I mean, it's two teams that are that went five and seven a year ago, uh, opening up with a with a division game. So both are thinking, all right, this is going to be a better year this year. And they're both thinking we started off with a win against the other one. So this is a, to me, it's a toss-up game. You're opening up with a, a divisional game to start the season. I mean, th- that that's fun right there. And significant staff turnover for both of those head coaches. And I think that's that's really something to monitor for a lot of programs around the country, but especially when you're playing a week earlier than almost the rest of your entire sport. Gentlemen, this has been great fun. This is the Football Scoop podcast. We're going to be casting this thing multiple times a week. Catch us on Apple. Catch us wherever else you catch podcasts. We'll be on the website. We'll be on Twitter. We'll be having a lot of fun. Scott Roussel, John Bryce, Zach Barnett. Gentlemen, a pleasure. We will talk to you guys soon. Let's enjoy Saturday, and we'll catch back up Sunday. Let's do it.